Morning's reading is chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the Prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, but then you can now bear But when he, the spirit of the truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to the Spirit, We'll take from what is mine and make it known to you. Thanks, man. Uh, let's pray and ask God to help us as we take a closer look at this passage. Gracious Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that by your Spirit we have the Bible uh, in our own language, bearing witness to him, to Jesus, and ask that you would help us now uh, to take on board uh, what he's saying here and to believe it and grow in our love of him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you probably know, good marketing, it's all down to uh, promoting how good a product is uh, and why it's worth the price, uh, that the benefit outweighs the cost, right? That's generally how it works. Apple does this incredibly well, as I'm sure many of us know, uh, with people lining up, I still think, these days for the, the purchase of the latest iPhone when it comes out, uh, because of all their promises, not just functionally, you know, uh, the device is amazing, it does a, a whole bunch of really cool things, but to be part of the trendy Apple brand. Uh, despite the fact that it costs, and I found this out during the week, it costs about half the price of the product to make the product. So uh, people are willing to fork out a grand or so each time, but it only costs about 500 bucks to put it together. So there you go. And this idea of uh, benefit-to-cost ratio... Uh, has, of course, leaked into how we assess and do everything in uh, the West, from relationships to life goals to even death, as uh, they're all marketed to us as things to pursue if, if the benefit to us outweighs the cost. And as long as we think it is, we'll, we'll sacrifice for it. We'll sacrifice our time, our energy, our money, our affection, our life to get what we want. And maybe, maybe we apply the same kind of thinking sometimes to God. That as long as uh, we're feeling God, we're getting the God feels uh, or experiencing his blessings, uh, that our lives are being enriched or our children's lives are being enriched or we're getting a sense of God's presence, as long as we get the feels of God, then we're happy to pay the cost of our time, our money, our energy, but what if, what if God being with us hasn't got to do with our feeling good about it? Or even about us at all? What might that look like? 
Well, I reckon Jesus hints at it in this passage that we've just read today, as he touches on, firstly, God in our grief, and then how the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. So that's where we're going today in the passage. That's where Jesus is taking us. But first, uh, let's recap on uh, where we've been so far in the story of John, the Gospel of John, about Jesus. So far, we've seen uh, Jesus has been doing incredible miracles and signs all over the place. It's worth remembering them. Uh, Turning water into wine, healing the paralysed, feeding thousands on a few fish and loaves and bread, walking on water, healing a man born blind, raising a dead guy back to life, uh, making the religious authorities pretty jealous and uh, murderous towards him. And then we've come to the last night before he's crucified. Just hours away from him being betrayed and arrested. And the story, it slows down. It slows right down as Jesus is with his disciples, having a meal with them, and he knows what's about to happen to him, what's going to happen, and he's trying to prepare them for for that, for what's coming. Not just for the next couple of days, though, but for the years to come. Telling them that he's leaving them, and that no matter what happens... As they trust in him and as they love him, God will always be with them and incredibly in them. They'll never be alone. And as such, they'll bear amazing fruit for Jesus. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. Many will hate them. Many will hound them because of Jesus. But they need to remember, even in their grief, it's not firstly about them. It's about God, which is the first point. God in our grief. Where Jesus points out in verse 4... why he's told the disciples uh, these things, these distressing things. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where you're going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. Jesus says the reason he didn't talk to his disciples about all this distressing stuff right at the beginning uh, about him leaving and that they're going to suffer the world's hate because of him is that because up until this point Jesus has been physically with them. He's been walking with them there and so he could largely take the heat uh, for them. You know, any opposition landed on him, not on them, right? But after this night, that's actually going to change. And so the disciples, they're full of grief and out of their grief, they've actually asked Jesus earlier, where are you going? They've actually asked him, where are you going? But they've asked it in the sense of, well, why are you leaving us? You ever had a conversation with a teenager when they start walking away in the middle of something that you're saying to them? Ever had that? Never had that experience? Oh, just me then. Okay. When that happens, what's the first thing that you might say? (laughs) Where are you going? Where are you going? Is it because you care where they're going? No. You don't care what, you know, are you stopping them from something important? No. You don't care about where they're going, you care about why they're walking away. It's a complaint. Where are you going? In the same way, all the disciples have said the words, where are you going? (laughs) Clearly, they're not really that interested in where Jesus is going. They're more interested in how him leaving them is making them feel. It's a complaint that comes from hearts full of grief as Jesus points out in verse 6. And so he's saying, you're not really asking me. You haven't really... You're saying you're not really that interested in where I'm going. And I wonder if that's how we are with Jesus some of the time. Only concerned about him in our life when we're feeling abandoned, grief-stricken, 
or upset or frustrated. Life's like he's only good for us when he's making us feel good about ourselves and our lives and our families. And when things aren't working out for us, we take it Jesus is maybe leaving us or that our prayers are more complaints. Where are you, Jesus? And maybe Jesus is saying this to us. I get you're upset about this or that, but are you really interested in what I'm doing? Like he was saying to the disciples back then, are you really interested in what I'm doing? Because if they were, well, they'd have no reason to worry. In fact, they'd be better off for it. Which brings us to the second point. The work of the Spirit uh, and how he's all about Jesus, which Jesus goes on to talk about. Now, he's already said a bit about the Spirit, already, uh, here with his disciples on this evening, and his relationship, he's talked about his relationship with the Father and with himself, uh, which brings us to the idea of the Trinity again. Now, I know that we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, but it's worth to revisit it. It's important. Uh, as Jesus is referring to this uh, reality of who God is a lot in the things that he's been saying. So the Bible teaches us there is one God in three persons. Uh, not three gods, one unique God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, where the Father is entirely and utterly God, where the Son is entirely and utterly God, and where the Holy Spirit is entirely and utterly God. But the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. One God Three persons. And that God sent the Son, or God the Father, sent the Son as the man, Jesus Christ. So that those who believe in him and believe in Jesus, uh, the Father and the Son could then would send, send the Holy Spirit to dwell and live in them. As uh, Jesus says earlier, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And it's the Holy Spirit living with them and in them who remind them, remind them of everything that Jesus said and did while he was with them from the beginning of his ministry on earth. The Holy Spirit is going to remind the disciples that were with him. And the Holy Spirit will do this so that he might testify to Jesus through the disciples, as Jesus says in chapter 15. So Jesus is telling his disciples the Holy Spirit will do this so that he, they might testify to Jesus, uh, that he might, the Holy Spirit might actually testify to Jesus through the disciples. And so Jesus is telling the disciples that they don't need to stress because he's leaving. They won't be alone. They'll have God, the Holy Spirit, with them and in them. And indeed, he's got to go. Jesus has got to go if they're to have the Holy Spirit, as he says in our passage today. So in verse 7 he says, But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. As Jesus has said earlier, he refers to the Holy Spirit as, as the Advocate. Indeed, another Advocate, he says uh, earlier, apart from himself. 
Uh, recently, I've been uh, listening to a debate uh, between a Muslim apologist, Dr. Shabar Ali, and a Christian apologist, Dr. Namil Qureshi, as you do, uh, talking on the Trinity. Muslims, of course, do not accept the idea of the Trinity, of God, uh, three and one. And Dr. Ali is quite a gifted speaker, actually, and uh, he wonders... Uh, in this debate and how illogical the idea of the Trinity is, particularly the Holy Spirit being God. And he suggests that the origins of the Trinity uh, is actually a late idea in Christian history, an idea made up by the church uh, in the 4th century AD, an idea that the first Christians didn't actually believe in, let alone Jesus himself. And yet it was precisely passages like this one here in John that the church fathers wrestled really, really hard with as they tried to be faithful to the Bible, as, uh, as faithful as possible to the Bible, on who Jesus reveals God to be. Certainly as Father, and himself as Son, and particularly here, as the Holy Spirit. Now there's little doubt throughout the Gospel of John that you can pick up more than a whiff of Jesus claiming himself to be God. And here in John, he says the Holy Spirit is another advocate like him. God, and yet not the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. Now, the word translated advocate might also be translated differently in different Bibles. Uh, You might have heard that from Ned's translation. Uh, So it can be translated as counsellor or helper or even comforter. Uh, They're all just attempts to capture something of the Holy Spirit's character and his work. And there's something of a legal sense in there too, as in a, a pro-counsel or a paralegal, uh, one who advocates on behalf of another in a court setting, uh, someone who guides another into the truth of things. In the film uh, Liar Liar, very old film now, Jim Carrey, he plays a, li- a lawyer whose disappointed son wishes the, that he couldn't lie and his wish is granted. Uh, And as a result, it's pretty hilarious, but uh, this lawyer, played by Jim Carrey, tortures himself in the courtroom, defending a gold digger um, and able not to lie. He's just not able to lie. Well, uh, completely opposite to this, the Holy Spirit happily cannot lie. As God, he only ever tells the truth. And as such, he'll only ever guide Jesus' disciples into the truth of things, particularly the truth of Jesus. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit won't come if he doesn't go and send him. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same place at the same time, like the world's not big enough for the two of them. Uh, No, he's drawing on something, uh, some old ideas about the Holy Spirit, things that the prophets hundreds of years beforehand said. Prophets like Isaiah and Joel, prophets God spoke through uh, of a time when he would pour out the Holy Spirit on people. Like this from the prophet Joel, where God says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens, And on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. God promises that after wonders have been seen and the sun turns to darkness, a great and dreadful day of judgment will happen. What does that sound like? 
Sounds a little bit like Jesus' life and then his death and then his crucifixion on the cross, doesn't it? And after this, God promises he'll pour out his spirit on all people. And then other prophets like Ezekiel, through whom God tells us more of this time when the Holy Spirit is poured out, uh, God says this, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll put a, a heart of flesh, give you a heart of flesh. But I will put, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises that he's going to pour out his spirit into people's hearts, his people's hearts, so that they'll happily do what he wants. They'll be his people and he'll be their God. And Jesus says this will only happen, this new age of the Spirit, as the Spirit is poured out and testifies to Jesus, firstly through his disciples, there and then, who become the apostles. As the Spirit reminds them of everything Jesus did and said while he was with them. And they then go on and proclaim what Jesus has done and who he is. And as people hear this, Jesus says, verse 8, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. Uh, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do something with the world. Some translations have prove wrong. Uh, some have expose, others convince or convict. Convict seems about right. In the sense of, that the Holy Spirit will show those in the world something, he, he'll show them that they're wrong. Wrong in their thinking and in their behaviour on sin, on righteousness and on judgment. First, Wrong in their thinking about sin, the Holy Spirit will reveal to people that Jesus died precisely for their sin. As such, their sin is serious. And if they want God's forgiveness, they need to believe Jesus died for their sin. That's what the Holy Spirit will convict people of, that their sin is so terrible that it needs Jesus' death to deal with it. We can't persuade people to believe that. That's what the Holy Spirit will do and convict people of. He'll also, the Holy Spirit will convict those in the world when it comes to righteousness. Uh, the Spirit will show uh, people that they're not righteous enough for God, that no one is, no matter how good they might think they are, and that the only one who's truly righteous, who truly deserves to live forever, is Jesus. And so although he died because he didn't deserve to die as the truly righteous one, he rose from the dead to go back to the Father to show that he died not for his sins, but for others, died not for his unrighteousness, but for others' unrighteousness who deserve to die, for those in the world who think they're good enough, that their righteousness is enough for God, but who in fact need to believe in Jesus to be actually counted as righteous. To believe in Jesus, who came from the Father and returned to him as the true righteous person for them in their unrighteousness. So that's what the Spirit will convict people of. They're wrong in their thinking and behaviour about righteousness, about how good they think they are. And also about right, uh, judgment. 
because the prince of this world has been condemned. That is Satan. That's what who Jesus is referring to there, the prince of this world. The accuser, the one who tempts people to sin so that they fall and then suffer God's judgment of death and hell. The same one who blinds people to God's judgment, convinces them that hell, well, that's just a fairy tale to frighten kids into doing the right thing, uh, and that there's no eternal reckoning for the things that we've done in this life. He'll either do that, uh, or he'll tempt people to judge for themselves what they think they deserve from God, and think, or at least hope, that they're good enough. Because, well, everyone else says so, don't they? And they haven't murdered anyone or anything like that. Well, the Spirit will open their eyes to see how wrong they are and that Jesus' death for them not only shows they need to escape God's judgment, but that upon believing in Jesus, Satan himself can no longer accuse them and get them condemned because he himself stands condemned, condemned by God through Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and went to glory where he received power and glory and authority is to save those who believe in him and to one day throw Satan in hell when he returns. This is what Jesus promises upon the Spirit being poured out. And it's what's happened. From the day of Pentecost, way back then, in the disciples' day, as the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Jerusalem, and they proclaimed the truth about Jesus. As people heard the truth of Jesus from the apostles, the Spirit moved many to give up their wrong thinking on sin, on righteousness, on judgment, and put their faith in Jesus. And he's continued to move many, many more to believe in Jesus across the globe and down through the centuries as they've heard the truth about Jesus, a truth that the Holy Spirit has guided, guided those first disciples into. As Jesus says from verse 15, uh, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. What is yet to come back then uh, is, firstly, at that stage, it was Jesus' death, resurrection and, and uh, return to glory. So that's yet to come for the disciples then and there. But then it's all the consequences of that, of Jesus' work and death and resurrected life. That's what the, the, the disciples back then are going to be and have been eyewitnesses of. And in being guided by the Spirit in all this truth about Jesus, the Spirit will glorify Jesus as the disciples come to know all that is true of Jesus through him. So we read in verse 14, uh, he will glorify, that is the Spirit will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Uh, this work of glorifying Jesus says, I, I think, something just wonderful about the Holy Spirit. He is supremely humble. His goal is to glorify Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to put Jesus forward, the Son of the Father. And while we... We see definitely the humility of God in the Son coming as the man Jesus and dying on a cross. We see the humility of God in the Holy Spirit as he comes to dwell in the hearts of all those who are believing in Jesus to point to and promote and honour and highlight and confirm the goodness and the wonder of Jesus, the Son, not himself, not to glorify himself, although fully God and worthy of it, 
We heard earlier in Jeff's prayer, it's right that people honour and worship the Holy Spirit as God, but the Holy Spirit wants people to focus on Jesus. He's firstly interested in glorifying Jesus. And in this, I think he endears himself. I saw a a film recently called Hidden Figures. Uh, It highlights the little-known work of a number of black American women women at NASA during the uh, 1950s and 60s, women who were instrumental in seeing America win out over Russia in the space race. Uh, One was Catherine Johnston, who was not only the first woman to co-author a research report in her division at NASA, but was the principal mathematician working on the complex calculations necessary for getting the first man to orbit the Earth, John Glenn. Now, John is well known. Some of you might know him. have heard of him. Lauded for his achievements. But with, without Catherine, it's likely he wouldn't have got that the glory of orbiting the Earth. And not unfairly then, I think we love her for her hidden and humble work. And the same is true for the Holy Spirit as he works to glorify Jesus and make him known and loved in the hearts of many the globe over. He, he, he's simply and gloriously humble. And it's hard not to love him. As is his due, as God. But to love him particularly for his hidden and humble work. Indeed, the best way, I think, to honour and love God the Holy Spirit and to enjoy him being with us and in us, it's to be like him. You know what that looks like? Making much of Jesus. It is remarkable that we can know God is with us and in us by the Holy Spirit, not as we feel him or even as we enjoy him, but as we make much of Jesus and point people to the apostles' testimony to Jesus in the Bible. That's how we can know God the Holy Spirit is with us. So how are we going to that? When was the last time you gave up feeling comfortable to help people hear about Jesus from the Bible? When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity to talk with, uh, talk about Jesus with your schoolmates or your fellow students or your workmates or your neighbours? When was the last time you asked someone to read the Bible with you? Sounds weird. Holy Spirit's been working through the Bible for centuries, winning people over to Jesus. Maybe he could do it through you. When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity? When was the last time you invited an unbeliever to church? Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. It's been embarrassing. Or to connect, which is happening again in a few weeks. Or to youth. Or to our English as a second language class. Or to kids' church. Or to Hope Explored, a course specifically designed to help unbelievers explore the hope that we have in Jesus. We ran that twice this year. And we're running it again next year. 
Will you intentionally set aside the time and invite someone along to that, maybe? Because you're more keen to see the Holy Spirit move in the life of someone than the comfort of a few nights at home in front of a device or a nice meal out with your mates. We might not, we might feel sometimes like God is not there for us, that life isn't working out the way that we think it should. The church isn't working out the way that we think it should. The way God should be making it work out for us. That we're just not feeling the love or the vibe. That we're not comfortable with bringing Jesus up with people or bringing them along to church stuff. But what if we got it the wrong way around? And God being with us and in us by the Holy Spirit is not about us. but about him and about others knowing him in Jesus too. If that's true, if that's true, what are we giving up? What are we sacrificing? What are we suffering for to be humble like the Holy Spirit who is in us and working at making Jesus known to others? I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that our Lord Jesus promised him, promised to pour him out on those who trust in him as those who do trust in Jesus, please let your spirit work in our lives to convict us when it comes to sin, righteousness, judgment, and move us to be more like him such that we orientate our thinking and our lives to what Jesus wants Not what we want. Forgive us for being selfish. Help us instead to make much of Jesus at cost to ourselves. For his sake and glory, as the Holy Spirit so deems. And we pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.